0: Welcome to King Size, a Stephen King podcast for obsessives by obsessives, with Matt Robinson and Simon Balkan.
1: So we move towards the end game uh, and this episode finds us looking at part two of uh, or chapter two, uh, uh, the second film and the second part of the miniseries. We've done the book page by page, sentence by sentence, word by word almost. Um, and we've shifted to the celluloid. And we're finishing our celluloid journey here.
2: Well, I'm very glad we didn't actually have to wait 27 years before coming back to do the second part of
1: this. <laughs> yeah, but you have got some good stubble going on since I last saw you. So Yeah, we yeah. 27 years to grow that. <laughs> <laughs> Nearly seven World Cups.
2: Would we have won any of them, do you think? I think the, the women would have, for sure.
1: Are yeah probably our brilliant lionesses who uh are, you know consistently win and are consistently brilliant. I don't know about the men's football, um, but the women's football is much more interesting anyway. It would be 27, perhaps, 27 Eurovision song contests. We might have won one Yeah, of I, them. I wouldn't have missed them. I, I, I quite liked um, the, the UK entry this year to actually see us nearly win um, a, a, and actually come out with a half-decent song was was quite good. Um, quite staggering, been,
2: given the oh. performance in previous years because the rest of the year, Europe quite rightly hates the UK and has no yeah. problem showing it.
1: People say no, it's just to do with a song. Well, it's probably to do more with, uh, you know, Brexit and your general leadership and or, or lack of and the way you uh, yeah treat nurses and 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 people. Anyway, but that yes is that that is a that is a eddy that will take us off into the Kander or into another sewer. And and we must we must keep our boats afloat. Yes, don't go down that tunnel. Come on, which way are we going, Eddie? Which way? Thank you. <laughs> yeah, Si, will you will you sleep with me, and then I can remember what's happening <laughs> again? Jesus, your memory is terrible. Which stagnant waters should we jump into first? You suggest.
2: Well, let's have a look at nineteen ninety. Let's go back to the yeah to the fondly remembered miniseries. as Mark Commode called it, the oddly fondly remembered i don't know why he says oddly maybe it's just not his cup of tea but there's a lot of love for the for the mini series. yes it may be it, it may be flawed um it might be slightly um hampered by virtue of the fact that it was made for television so you know that's going to mean that you can't show you can't do certain things but i it's still quite bloody and um it still goes for the emotional punch whether or not it, it achieves it i think is is up to the viewer but it does it it does go for it and the the, the second half like the like chapter 2 like the the second film does focus much more on the on the, the adults yeah um, and it sort of weaves some childhood things in but it's much more about the grown-ups and their return mm-hmm. to derry and who they are now or more to the point i think who they are now kind of mixed in with who they were because they seem to become themselves as children a bit they sort of you know they sort of click into that group dynamic really easily once they're sort of back with each other after a little while they're you know it's all beep beep richie and yeah they're sort of back with they're back with each other or Albeit at the same time, they've got their the mindset of um, their adults. Hasn't this been this has been a blast, it's been wonderful, but we're not going, we're not seriously going into the
1: sewer, are we? The little physical mannerisms as well, you know, when we see Richie start to just push the bridge of his nose to push those glasses up that that again he had as a child. Um just going back to the, those little traits of how they were. And I think the miniseries and chapter two both have this wonderful, big ensemble scene to hold on to, you know, when they're all reunited uh, after 27 years. Well, I say all, we know Stan isn't with us, uh, but we're all reunited at the restaurant. I mean, it's such a great set piece, isn't it?
2: Mm. Oh, yeah. Um... Although in both instances, it happens at night. Mm. It's an evening.
1: Yeah. yeah. And in the book, it's a lunchtime thing. It's lunchtime, is it? Because then they go off for their little walking pleasant tours afterwards, don't they? Yes. It's a, it's a tighter within the book. It's we have lunch, spend the afternoon being terrified, and then see if we can meet up at the library in the evening, yeah. Hmm.
2: Hmm. I mean, I, with chapter two, I think I can see the parallel with, going to look for your tokens and i'm with Derry
1: public radio on this one i thought i'm not sure that that quite fit i i i got real harry potter vibes that i didn't want to get it's it's almost we're all getting our tokens like looking for a horror crux all these various parts are scattered around again I think, well, it's not there in the original source material. You've got enough in that source material to really be going with. I don't think you need to start creating new storylines. It's it's very neat, though. I Part of me can see why they did it in the wow. way that they go right. So you need to find the one piece that connects you, as you said, those adults clicking into who they were as children. And there is a physical token... In Rich's case, a real token, <laughs> which I yes. which I think is a great little touch. But there is a token that is anchoring you to the past, and you need to find that and, and then you become that, you know, adult child becomes one. There's something to be said
2: for the as part of the ritual, finding something that represents your childhood and your past in dairy and then and then burning it. Yeah. Because each one of the things that they they do burn is significant, really significant to them. Um it's just as you say, when you've got the the material that's that's there in the novel, mm. I don't I didn't quite see the need to sort of create this this extra thing. The walking tools would have been enough,
1: yeah, I wonder if it was perhaps with the modern sensibility of that idea of, you know, physically burning something that ties you to the past um Mm. often we know that sometimes it's really therapeutic to write down on paper some of those demons and traumas that we have or fears and then you know, people do then set fire to them or, or just in the way that we set fire to, you know, those Chinese lanterns and, and and things float through. So there's something quite cathartic maybe in modern about that, that idea of, look, let's have this thing and let's take um, ownership over it and show that we can, we're severing this, this thing that's anchored us so much to this past and the trauma Again, we know that trauma is much more complex and layered than that. But I think, again, with the confines of a film, they had to have something that maybe physically spoke of it in a nice, clean way. Mm. Yeah.
2: I mean, it's a visual thing, I suppose, you know, sort of watching people burn these these tokens. But still, I don't know. I just don't think it quite... It quite fit it, it felt a little bit like trying to you know bash a square peg into a round hole <laughs> just a little um, I mean a lot of the, the ritual the fact that it was Native American as opposed to being m- much much older than that yeah. from, from further away I I wasn't I wasn't entirely convinced by um, and this is much more obviously about the the film. But um, Mike not telling them about a certain aspect of the ritual, I thought was strange. And him spiking Bill
1: to sort of <laughs> to give him the experience. <laughs> yeah, I mean Mike does come across in the in chapter two as quite a shifty character, which. Yeah is so different for how i believe he's written on the page he's he is the lighthouse keeper this man has been through absolute hell and has kept the home fires burning whereas in the in the film in the modern part two absolutely he's pretty sneaky (laughs) there's plenty of moments where they go Oh Mike, why didn't you yeah, why didn't you tell it? Mike? Come on, what are you hiding? <laughs> yeah, it's a little short shrift, I feel. <laughs> yeah, it's he's slightly
2: better treated in the in the miniseries. Um I mean they're both still, they both still live in Poor Town. Yeah. That was a that was a nice little moment actually, I felt in the in, in the miniseries when because Bill's one of the first ones to um, to make contact with Mike, and they have a you know really nice moment between the two of them, and then Mike walks um, Bill through uh, through some of Derry, um, and Bill goes, "Oh yes, I remember. One of us lived around here. Yeah. Beth lived around here, didn't she? It was poor town. Yeah, still is. We're home. I'm here. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> a bachelor is all I need. Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, it, 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 I think." The mini series did a slightly, slightly better job of sort of contrasting the fact that they've all been very successful in their yeah. their chosen fields, um, and Mike unsuccessful is unfair. But he, he he's not rich. No, um,
1: and they 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 all are, aren't they? They are all affluent. That has been the thing. They are. As we've discussed, barren and childless, but mm. they are financially. They've all had success, um, and Mike doesn't have that. And interestingly, the miniseries. Mike's the first older character we meet, mm. uh, straight right right at the beginning, the opening moments after the first murder. We we see Mike, um, and yeah, I think he's handled. I think he's portrayed much closer to how he's written in the book within the miniseries than in mm. the in the modern two films. Yeah,
2: also, I thought I thought it was strange that in the film, Eddie is a risk analyst. And, yeah, now, there's nothing. You know, he's still obviously very affluent, but it still didn't feel like he'd had the same sort of um, prominence. In terms of in that in that way in that sort of success in inverted yeah. commas that he has in the in the book and in the miniseries because he owns this limousine um, company yeah and they're taking care of a lot of high profile names and for for me that sort of gave Eddie that the mm. same sort of level of again in inverted commas success because yeah. not only is he rich he's at the top of his his game as well you know he's doing really well if he's um, providing Limousines
1: for Hollywood stars. Exactly. And very au fait, and and, and, you know, he he knows Pacino. He's driven Pacino. He's reassuring his wife about, ah, Pacino's fine. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Yeah. He's very comfortable moving within those circles. Did you notice who plays his wife in chapter
2: two? The actress who plays um, his, uh, his wife is Molly Atkinson, I believe. It is exactly the same actor who plays his mother in Chapter (laughs) 1. Really? Again, I thought that was a little bit on the clown nose. (laughs) Yeah. He (laughs) has literally, literally married his mother. In Chapter 2, there are are a couple of really big omissions for me. Um, One of them is, is Tom Rogan, again, who goes for absolutely nothing.
0: Yep. Um,
2: an order who? Oh, absolutely. That's, that's complete, not, only, not only is it completely and utterly skipped, which I think lessens the stakes, and there are a couple of things I think in chapter 2 that sort of drop the stakes a little bit. Yeah.
1: I I really miss those agents of Pennywise, Tom coming back, the force of evil being used as a vehicle, and then Audra, this force of light and love, trying to come and rescue bill and ultimately you know causing him to be more vulnerable and be put in more jeopardy mm. I think it adds to the plot and then you've got the wonderful epilogue i bill Dembra, beats the devil part two which is one of my favorite sections of the novel mm. it's absolute act of love and dedication and really truly truly breathing life back into someone um uh, and I love how that novel ends with, with that real intimacy of that the two of them. And I think it's it's a real shame that that isn't there within mm-hmm. uh, the novel. Also to give Bill's character more depth, I, I did find in chapter two, I, 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 you know, for, for the leader, I don't know, I, I found, not necessarily James McAvoy himself, he's a perfectly fine actor, but I just found Bill a little bit undercharged. Um, and underpowered Mm. Uh, and I wonder if that's because those plots are missing it could be I've seen a uh
2: a poster for chapter two which I think must have been obviously created when a different cast was being considered but one of the actors in the frame for Bill as an adult was Patrick Wilson
1: oh right okay yeah
2: And I think that might have given Bill a bit more gravitas. Mm. Um, Yeah, similarly to you, I I really like James McAvoy. I think a lot, like a lot of his parts, like a lot of his films, he does loads of different things um, and he does them very well. And he was, he looks a lot like the young actor who played Bill in chapter one. Yeah. But... Yes. I think he needed something just to give him a bit more of the, this guy is the leader of this group.
1: Yeah. Which I very much got when they were kids. And again, it's one of those classic things on screen, isn't it? Where you are always going to compare the kids with the adults. Mm. I think chapter one and two do a very good job of physically, the resemblances are brilliant. And Especially in Bill Hader and Jessica Chastain, I think is just the most perfect casting, and I know we'll go into that a bit, a bit more in a bit. But um, I, I, I think they get the physicality really well. But with someone like the Bill character, I really loved the young Bill. I, 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 I found you know any moment we spent with young Bill much more emotionally engaging and touching than the older Bill. And Mm. you're always going to have that, really. I think the Bev character works really well across both movies. You know, um, I I think he's portrayed beautifully and I really root for both. But Bill just felt a little unbalanced. Um, Mm -hmm. And I wonder if that's it. It does, you know, we see him beat the devil, you
0: know, Mm -hmm. a couple
1: of times in the novel. And this whole idea of memory and the loss of memory and the raging against the dying of the light. And you can't be careful on a skateboard, man. <laughs> he finally puts it to the test. And my heart is in my mouth when he's on silver and he's just firing down the hill and going through crash barriers. And there's this real sense of, yes, that is the kid that you were when you were going to rescue eddie when he'd been beaten up in the in the barons um mm-hmm. it's a real celebration there of uh of bill i think finally finding the happiness and when aldra comes back to life um finally finding some that love that he's been missing within the novel mm. so his character arc is so much more detailed and i really miss that um in the film adaptations mm. I
2: think the the miniseries does that better. Yes. Yeah, um, I agree. I, I preferred the I mean I preferred the ending of, of the of the uh, of the miniseries or the way that the mini-series handles the yeah. ending of, of, of this story. Um to be honest, I, I found Stan's letters and the voiceover of Stan, I found that a little bit of a <sighs> pop-out. Mm. Mm. It was a bit sort of, no, that's not why Stan did this. And I think it's one of the points of the novel that Chapter 2 misunderstood, perhaps. Because the point is that it it was one of the ways that the stakes for me are are, are lowered. Stan does this because he cannot go back. He's too scared. He's... um, it's just not within him to to do this fight. And he's trapped by the strength of the promise that he made, but on on the other hand, he's like, I can't go forward. The only way for me is out. He doesn't do it because he thinks that the group will be stronger. That's no, it's lucky seven. If he says, oh no, it'll be all right with six and you'll be stronger because you have that's just nonsense. I'm sorry, I don't
1: buy it. Yes i i'm completely with you uh you are you are singing a beautiful tune to the choir my friend because i agree this is in chapter two it's portrayed as almost stand suicide for me as this noble sacrifice Mm.
0: um
1: and it's not you know he writes these letters and in a way i think it's it's portrayed as this noble act that he's taken um and actually, in the novel, it's just so heartbreaking and it's pathetic. I don't mean pathetic. I mean in the genuine sense of the pathos of this man who is scared, so scared, and so so hopeless that that's his. That's the only thing he can do. Whereas in the film, I think it's very dangerous. Actually, it completely shifts the Stan character. It's almost like they felt no. Let's let's give him some. You know, he he's made this sacrifice for us, and his letters are what urge us on. I that's not what Stan's about. You know, the Stan character takes his life because of the horror of what he's facing, and it diminishes mm. and and absolutely lowers the stakes. And I I don't it wasn't needed. It wasn't necessary. Yeah, I would. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, it doesn't make sense to me
2: that he would write these six letters and then uh, get, in the, um, get in the bathtub, cut his wrist, and then write it on the wall. Yeah. It, uh, yeah. If he's yeah. going to write anything, that, him, him writing those two letters is far more powerful than him writing six handwritten letters, Yeah, as it were. So it, yeah. I mean, if there's anything else that he doesn't need for me, and I'm talking about Chapter 2 here, mm. um, although it appears at the end of Chapter 1 as well, it's beds premonition Mm. this this sort of thing that she knows she gets while she's in the deadlights where she sees all of their their deaths um particularly what's going to happen to them if they if they don't go back I'm like do we need that I'm not sure we do I don't think that it, it it really
1: adds anything I mean I think Bill Hader is absolutely fantastic and the perfect casting the casting that the young Richie wanted so if what's your dream casting like Bill Hader mm-hmm. um, and I think he he plays an absolute blinder as Richie's. For me, it's just perfect. Uh, and I love it when he says, well, like, it's every 27 years. Let's just kick this one down the can and deal with it then.
2: <laughs> it is, oh, no, come on. If, if this damn thing comes back when I'm 70, because that, that's what the that's what Richie says in the miniseries. Like, oh, come on. Yeah. I mean, both instances. I I absolutely agree. Bill Hader, for me, had some of my favourite lines in the film but equally um, when Richie's sat on the desk in the library and he's, again, he's messing around with Eddie, going oh this man reminds me of the brother I never had <gasps> he is the brother I never had <laughs> 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 oh, yeah. was, I think that's what I mean about them sort of slotting back into these um, into these childhood personas um, yeah. which have never really really left them yeah there, there, there are some lovely things that sort of get reversed between the mini series and um, and the and chapter two. So, for example, in the mini series, Richie has just come off stage. He's done his done his show. Yeah. Done the party. Then he gets his uh, phone call. He has his flashback and he throws up. In chapter two, he gets the phone call before he goes on. He throws up. He then he goes on stage and he completely tanks.
1: <laughs> Which is just a moment of, of absolute toe-curling horror. And uh, as performers, we know what that's like to dry. And, to, well, may, maybe not you, sir. Oh, um, I, I but know about that. <laughs> we've, we've all been there, right? And that moment of you just... He's like, nah, nah, he's not going to style this one out. And it starts so well, and he's getting the yeah. laughs. And, and I love that little weaving into you know the bill hader obviously you know being a stand up comedian being you know um that character i just felt the the the, the, the synergy between him and Richie tate was just perfect mm, what yeah. other reversals did you know well
2: th- this is more a commonality but there's you've got stan in a fridge <laughs> in both <Yeah>. you've <laughs> got you've got stan's stan's head in the library um in that fridge and then you've got the whole of Stan as a child all yeah. sort of, you know, torsioned up in the fridge of the kitchen of Kneebolt Street. So yeah.
1: you got him... That same detail appeared in both. Yeah. And then Stan... that, that Stan as the spider. Yeah. In chapter two, where, where he comes out of the fridge, well, then the head comes off, comes out, and then spider arms with kind of human hands come out. And so particularly shocking bit
2: that is a very
1: specific homage um
2: but it's it's not just the design of the the spider head there's some of the dialogue that Mm. goes with it and it's referencing a very specific
1: film could you remember which one i believe it is the thing john carpenter's the thing yes come on man Right on the button. Well done, (laughs) that man. Redemption. It's a long time coming. (laughs) (laughs) I get a question. Beep, beep, Maddie. I get a question right. (laughs) Yes. Lovely little nod to that. And it's another one of my favourite
2: Richie moments because he gets one of the best lines from that film. Well, from chapter two, and it's one of the best lines in the thing, I think, is when you get this this head that's come off and then the legs appear off and you go know, scuttling across the floor.
1: And in both cases, the characters go, you've got to be kidding. Brilliant dialogue and bantering, as you say, between um, Richie and Eddie. That's a fabulous double act they've got oh, going.
2: I don't know it, no, no, it dude. Well, maybe Richie knows it and maybe Eddie will only be quietly in secret and private to it. It's a fantastic double act they've got going.
1: And I think the chemistry, in particular, between them, really heightens and deepens both characters, especially Richie, because it means then when Eddie doesn't make it and Eddie has truly sacrificed himself, you're then able to really see the true heart and 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 pain of of Richie at having Ooh. to leave him behind, and he feels it more than anybody else within the losers um, in how it's portrayed, and just shows that real depth, you know, behind the beep beep trash mouth, there is you know. A lot of lot of um, deep water running.
2: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, Ritchie is absolutely heartbroken mm. at the end of Chapter 2. They're all consoling him because he feels that that loss, I think, probably yeah. most deeply. But in the miniseries, Ritchie carries Eddie's body out. Yes. They don't leave him behind. They yeah. have him in in Chapter 2 because you get a flavour of um, some of the destruction that ensues Pennywise's death. Yeah. Neither do you really get the the mm. whole thing of of um, you know, neighborhoods floating off downstream and yes. getting sort of a, uh, a slate wiped clean. Um, but they have to make a bit of a quick exit in chapter two. Um, but in the miniseries, they get Richie is able to carry Eddie's
1: body out. There's something so powerful in that novel and so disturbing about leaving Eddie behind. Um, whilst the rest of them go, even though Eddie's dead, just the fact that they leave him behind feels like a betrayal, feels like, but they have to do it. Um, again, you know, having is to he- make incredibly tough choices. <laughs> Isn't Eddie's last line to
2: Richie? Because <laughs> he's, he's, you know, he's obviously losing his, uh, no, the life is draining from him. Um, it, Richie,
0: yeah,
1: I. Your mom. <laughs> yeah. And it gets some extra stuff happening as well in chapter two. I mean, the uh, the knife attack by Henry Bowers upon him. Uh yes. when, you know, the the knife in the face, the knife in the cheek. Mm. I mean, he really does go, go through it. It's all material
2: for um for Richie. Yeah. It was like, you know, who who just pulled a knife out of their their face? Yeah. I did. Who just stabbed Henry Bowers? I did. Who marries somebody 10 times? A day? <laughs> <laughs> sitting there, they're sitting in the restaurant. Um, you know, Richie's saying, you know, your, your, your wife turned to me the other day and said, Oh, 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 Solo, oh, oh, the Wookiee. <laughs> this is great Jabba the impression. <laughs> Bill Hader is, you know, sublime. I'll tell you something strange about Bill Hader. Um, I've seen him interviewed a couple of times. I think he's um, on like the Conan O'Brien show. And whenever he does an impression of somebody like Schwarzenegger or Al Pacino, people that he's uh, he knows and he, 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 he's worked with, there's something strange that happens to that man's face and he starts to look like <laughs> he's doing the voices of. When he does a Schwarzenegger impression, his face changes to look a bit like Schwarzenegger's. When he does a Pacino, he looks like Al Pacino. It's really weird. It's brilliant, but it's... Yeah. That's a bit strange. You have the ability to do that.
1: Maybe he's a comic Pennywise. Maybe he is the shapeshifter. Maybe that's it. He, uh, His purposes are not as nefarious as Pennywise. It's for the purposes of comedy and goodness of the soul, but being able to morph. and yeah, Exactly. He does a brilliant Pacino impression that I know that uh, they wanted to have in in the movie. Um, uh, and he actually, I read that he said, no, he didn't want that being in there um, because he felt people had seen it before and right. it would snap them out of... you Because know, it is that fine line, I think, especially because you know bill hader is is so renowned for his work on saturday night live and everything he's done you know you're casting someone who's got a real yeah uh, you know you look at him and go oh that's bill hader and mm-hmm. i think it was a really good choice to go look let's not put that stuff in that people have seen because then they're watching a bill hader routine rather than than richie um and i loved it you know he was very honest about he'd read it when he was a kid and he didn't reread really it again because he's like it's too damn long mm. <laughs> we we'll do it in five bite-sized. Sections then, well, that's it. Yeah. Again, what, has has that been done somewhere, Sai? And, and and if so, can you enlighten me a little bit. It's only been done once. It's a very brave thing to do. And what was it? Um, uh,
2: just a second. I'll have to check Wikipedia. Just a second. I'm sure it's on there somewhere.
1: King size. King size did a read along. That's, that's right. right. Yeah. In five audience, user friendly episodes over five months and five parts within the novel breaking it down going very deep but allowing each one to have time to breathe that's the way to do it right
2: absolutely it's just a shame we couldn't have done it back in I don't know 2015 give Bill Hader a chance to you know to to do it
1: like that (laughs) getting back into the book so it wouldn't feel like such a such a big thing to take on That's it. Well, maybe we'll reach out to him now and just say, look, you know, now that you've got a bit of distance from the film, you know, you still need to go back to the source material. So listen, we'll we'll make this easy for you, Bill. We we know you're a busy man. You got a lot on. Um, But again, I just had echoes then of um, the great Jimmy Kahn, you know, uh, who, you know, completely different from Kathy Bates in the preparation for Misery, as we've spoken Mm -hmm. about in previous in our Misery podcast episode you know, of Kathy Bates just lapping up all the source material, the novels, everything around it, uh, and Jimmy Kahn just, that. you know, just these are the lines. That's all I need. I, I just need what the character needs to know. That's it.
2: But yeah, Kathy Bates' approach, as you say, is, is, is different. There are different routes to the same destination. It doesn't Absolutely. really matter how you get there, um, as long as you're, you're not doing yourself any sort of sort of harm. different different actors have completely different approaches it's fine
1: yeah absolutely well as you know we were speaking just before we recorded about um a little uh, about the bard about a bit of shakespeare that that you've been doing recently tell us for those that aren't 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 aware what exactly you know q script acting is and and the relevance of that well q
2: script acting is working in a very similar way to the the same way that it's believed that. Elizabethan actors worked so um any writer at that time couldn't produce you know 30 odd copies of the play because parchment and ink and everything else was too expensive so you could only really write it out once so you wrote it out once and then you cut it up into pieces and you gave every actor their lines and their cues and that's it you knew which scenes you were in you would probably be told if you had a a fight because something like that would need to be rehearsed but you wouldn't rehearse for weeks in the same way that we are used to now you'd have to learn your lines and your cues and then you just have to listen because you didn't know when your cue was coming and you didn't know who it was coming from
1: yeah and when we say with cue just again being really specific we're meaning what the last what three words of uh, yeah last three the, or four words three or four words of the person be who's then addressing us or or what they say before we then come in yes
2: they might not be addressing you at all they might yeah. be talking to somebody completely different and what you can also get um in some scenes is a repeated cue so you get the same mm-hmm. three or four words um which are the at the cues
1: for different lines. So it might be somebody else might get the same cue you've got. Right. So you might, for instance, if if we've been doing cue script acting and say uh, you had a chunk of dialogue or a couple of, you know, uh, a few lines of dialogue, and your cue might be, my heart burns there too, what impact does that have on on you as an actor, you know, in that moment? Are you just purely listening out for those four words or...? Well, you're listening to everything.
0: Mm.
2: You have to. You have to listen to everything. This is one of the joys of the way of working. It, it forces you to listen, mm. um, even even to a small extent, because you don't know when those you don't know when those lines are or those words are coming. That's the point. They might come after two sentences. They might come at the end of a monologue. They might come after yeah. two pages. So that's where the word roll comes from. the The lines and the cues were written on one piece of piece of parchment, and the parts, parchment was wrapped up in a piece of wooden stick, and you were given your roll.
0: Mm, mm.
2: That's what it was. Then um, you look at it, and it's, you've either
1: got got loads to do, or you've only got a little to do. Mm. Um, so you, therefore, you are completely in the moment, aren't you? You know what you know. I, you know your dialogue what you're going to say but you you fresh mint it you make it in the moment but you don't know necessarily what other people are going to say so which is i guess the point of it it's true to life right we don't know now we're recording here what you're going to say next what i'm going to say it's not scripted so it's totally in the moment right
2: mm. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the mark of good acting. It doesn't sound like acting. It sounds yeah. like what the characters are saying. Yeah. Um, a really good actor, I think, will be able to take almost almost any any script, and then even if the writer wasn't very happy with it in the first place, the writer will then find themselves saying, oh my god, I'm the best writer in the world. This sounds like real natural dialogue. I must have written something brilliant. Because it's in the hands of somebody that just knows how to translate it into something that this person would say in this moment for this legitimate reason.
1: Yes, which brings us nicely to the fact that a lot of the Bill Hader dialogue was improvised within that moment. There was obviously parts that were scripted, of course, but other bits. You're not going to get someone like that with those improvisational skills and that comedy timing. And not give them license to be able to, yeah, have a bit of fun with it.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I wonder how many of the lines were were scripted or were were Bill Hader's. I mean, yeah. um, When he saves, he saves Mike from Henry Bowers by, and it's him that kills Henry Bowers uh, in the in the library. Says, well, I guess that was long overdue. And 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 the line that he has that gets the beat beat Richie from Bev when they've gone into. Neebolt Street again uh, as adults and it's just you know it's neat. it's the house in Neebolt Street you've got black slime running down the stairs and Richie says well i love what he's done with the place
1: and it's interesting because i know that there so generally speaking critical response to it part chapter 2 mm-hmm. was a lot less positive than it chapter 1 mm. and A lot of the criticism that I've read has been that, you know, people have said, well, it's a little too knowing. It's uh, a little bit too kind of raised eyebrow to the camera, playing it a bit too much for laughs. And I think a lot of that obviously is wrapped up in, in Bill Hader's performance. For me personally, I think that really, really works Because it gives it some real moments of levity and a real natural response that in times of great peril and great chaos, some people go very quiet, some people think very fast. A lot of people uh, make jokes and you make humor in moments where you're really stressed or worried. Um, And and that's totally within Rich's character. That is what we know historically as a kid, he has always done. Yeah, he's always the guy that will say the thing at the moment, the wrong thing at the wrong time, but perhaps also exactly the right thing at the right time. When no one else knows what to say, you guaranteed Richie will know. So not everything is beep beep, Richie. There's moments of yeah. And we see in this film he can do that. And he can also, he's the one that says to Eddie how brave he is, as you mentioned earlier on. I love that little exchange. And then it ends with a joke. <laughs> you know, um, so I I I think the humour is really needed because yes. it stops it being a series of too many CGI scenes. Mm. It, it actually brings a lot of warmth and humanity that I think is desperately needed in Chapter 2 on, on a rewatch.
2: Mm. Yeah, even before they go into Neibolt Street, it's Bill who says, I think Richie said it Best the last time that we were here. I slept with your mom. <laughs> this is a really terrible idea. Let's kill this clown. Let's kill this clown. It's the clown of the group that has the most that can have the most
1: truthful things to say. Yeah, and yeah. Come on, let's kill this clown. On second viewing of it again, and knowing that there is a little bit of a a lot of people aren't huge fans of chapter two. How does it stand up for you? I know we've spoken about some of the things that don't quite work and others that do, but overall, your thoughts on it? Well, interestingly, one of the main criticisms I've read of chapter two is how
2: sort of episodic it is. Mm. Um, and the some of the reviews have said, well, you know, you could almost tell this this story in any order, given these these chapters you could make they feel a bit interchangeable um i i see what that i think the reviews are getting at i don't feel the same way about it because it sort of reminded me a bit of the miniseries mm-hmm. in that respect because mm-hmm. it is it's such a long film it's you know it's what's two hours and 49 odd minutes i think so but I, by the same same token i i i have to say the length didn't bother me
1: and that's not a sentence you've often heard before,
2: or likely to very often. <laughs> uh, yeah, it just felt like the story <laughs> went to, went along. There were some really nice moments in between the each of the scenes. There's a there's a fabulous um, cross crossover from one scene in, into another. I think it might have been from Richie into Stan, but it goes up into the into into the sky, and you get the jigsaw pieces on top of a. A, a table, it, it looks like the stars to begin with, and then it's the jigsaw pieces, and that goes up into yeah. Stan's living room. I thought that that was a fantastic way of crossing yeah. those those two things over. And for the most part, I enjoyed all the chapters, if you like, yeah. in the, the, the second film. And I liked that it reminded me of the same episodic feel of the miniseries. It gave me that, a, a similar sort of nostalgic vibe. Um, yeah, but also yeah. just to say one thing about. Um, uh, Richie and him being the clown and 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 what he what he says, I'm reminded of something Mel Brooks said, which uh, which was that um, he said if if you're going to tell the truth, you better be funny or they'll kill you. So, so that's <laughs> where we get the truth across is to make people laugh, and so, you know, it's a little bit of sweetener to make yeah. that happen. Did it bother you? Did you feel that same? It's, I see I, of- the story
1: yeah i i felt I, I felt strangely protect a strange word protective over it actually because i actually you know went into it again we uh, we saw it together both both chapter one and chapter two at the cinema and i remember being blown away by both but being blown away by the fact i was watching it with you it was on the big screen it was late at night there were journeys involved lovely cinemas as an experience it was just wonderful <laughs> As we said, coming in to watch it now on the back of having lived so deeply within Derry uh, this year, that definitely changes um, the relationship to the films. I really, I really thought it was really solid, and I liked the neatness of the storytelling. Again, you know, we 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 see everybody come together, and then we see the episodes. I thought that the uh, walkabout scenes, you know, the tours, or in this case, them getting their tokens. Each was handled really well. And I think this film had some really strong set pieces in it that I loved. That that brilliant set piece at the fairground Mm. where Pennywise is luring the kid on the skateboard.
2: Yeah, yeah. Dean, I found that an absolutely terrifying Mm. scene.
1: Truly terrifying. The hall of mirrors and, and you get this sense of Bill just being completely lost and completely discombobulated very early on and you get little images uh, of pennywise uh, uh, and a creature just beforehand and then ending up with bill within touching distance of dean but mm. separated by the glass and the brilliant moment of the, the uh, of pennywise just banging his head against the glass mm. and just that cracks beginning to show and splinter and and then that final one also similar the other fairground scene where you know with with the little girl and the abduction and, uh, and the killing of her i thought that was done really really powerfully you know where he goes one two there's a beat that goes on too long she's like you're supposed to say three and <laughs> yeah yeah vicky yeah
2: little
1: vicky uh, she's sort
2: of Seduced or sort of distracted by this firefly, this little, little, little mm. trap that obviously Pennywise has, has, has orchestrated. I didn't realize that um, Vicky is the same little girl
1: who Adrian Mellon gives the stuffed toy to. The decision was made, look, we can't populate Derry with tons and tons of people. So we're going to have a couple of these kids representing the vulnerability, the innocence, and we're going to follow them in a couple of scenes. Um well, yeah. I mean, Dean makes several appearances because he's the same kid that comes
2: up to Richie. Yeah. yeah. Richie, Richie mistakes as another one of Pennywise's <laughs> manifestations. <laughs> That's a brilliant scene. <laughs> do, do,
1: do, do you want a photo? Do you want, a, do you, do you want an autograph? Oh, I didn't
2: know. I don't write my own material. Um, I knew it. For me. And then uh, Eddie goes, I knew it. I knew it, yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I've got that. <laughs> You're a fraud. I knew it. Yeah, I knew it. It's just that glee that Eddie has there. I want to you, I knew it. They <laughs> love their brotherly relationship. I think it really. For me, forms the heart of uh, of the losers in chapter two. um but yeah, the fairground scenes are done brilliantly. um, I think the uh, the Adrian Mellon melon scene is, is is done really, really well. It's really powerfully shot. Again, you've got this wonderful cinematography opening it up. um and it's really it's really terrifying. Mm, um, yeah. you know, just just the this lovely moment with them the lovely moment again with vicky you know when he just leans into i guess thanks for letting me win <laughs> you know um and then the guys um that that obviously you know beat him up and throw him over the side one of whom is, is a great actor he's in a um uh a series called animal kingdom uh mm-hmm. that is absolutely brilliant um which I've seen the first three seasons uh, in the UK and desperately trying to get hold of season four and five, but you can only watch them if you're in the States. So a nice shout out to that actor from Animal Kingdom. Yeah, as I said, and then the set pieces, when they go on the walkabouts, I think are each given real space, given real moments to breathe and are really, really intense. Rich is one um, with... Paul Bunyan. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I do think there's a lot of CGI used in this film. And I think as it goes on, for me, it loses its power, especially in the last 30 minutes. It's a, I, I'm a little bit numb to it. But at the beginning, in the first half, the way Paul Bunyan's brought to life, the way that mouth is stitched like the clowns,
0: mm-hmm.
1: I, I think is really, really, truly There was a chill down my back watching that. Mm. Um, I
2: got got the chill when Adrian Mellon passes him and hands him the the leaflet. There's something that a couple of reviews have pointed towards, which I completely missed, and that's Richie's latent um, homosexuality. mm. Really? didn't get that at all. Um, Didn't get that at all. Not quite sure why it might be important, but, yeah, yeah. it's it's a bit too subtle if it's meant to be there for its own good. Yeah. Uh, if it's trying to, to tell us something. I, I don't understand what relevance Richie's sexuality has on anything. No. Um unless because it would need to be clearer. If he was repressing his sexuality, I would want that to be clearer. So then somehow when he's um not repressing it and he's liberated and mm. he's being Richie, and that's who Richie is, then that's who Richie is. It would need to feel like more of a victory, but it would only feel like a victory if you would see it repressed in the first place, and I never did. I think it's a, it's a bit too subtle, but having Adrian Mellon in that scene come back and hand him an yeah. invitation to his funeral um, is nice nice and creepy.
1: Yeah. And if we're talking nice and creepy, I I, I think IT Chapter 2 pulls off the creepiest scene which again is the creepiest scene for me in the miniseries and the creepiest scene in the book um obviously obviously we're talking about Bev's encounter with Mrs Kirsch Mm -hmm. I as I've mentioned before I remember just watching the trailer for it chapter two with with my wife and be absolutely freaked out and she was kind of just glancing over me when I was re-watching it recently for for the podcast and was like even with the sound down and me watching it with headphones on it was just enough she, she was like no 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 I'm not gonna watch that yeah it's a brilliant scene because it takes its time in the way that it does in the novel you know that happens over a number of pages and you know again you're going something is off here but but is it or what is going on Um, and i do think the reveal of the huge massive old lady monster i I think that's she's terrifying and the speed with which she moves i would have loved it if when Bev goes out into the street if she carried on chasing her, because that's what I love about the novel is the fact that, you know, we often see moments where in daylight and around other people, they're still not safe. They're still vulnerable. Mm. Um, that's a little kind of nerdy thing, but there's the minute she escapes, she realises it's all been boarded up. But for me, it works best this film and the novel where you go, I don't know what's real or what isn't. Um Mm-mm yeah because and those lines start to get blurred
2: yeah very 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 blurred which is one of pennywise's um weapons really he can get them to start to doubt their own reality
1: yeah they
2: don't know what's real and they don't know what isn't so they don't know what they're supposed to fight and what and, and what they need to ignore
1: and I, and I felt yeah and i felt that with the scene in the, in chapter 2 where i think after his Uh, getting his token, Ben goes back to, um, you know, the the guest house and has that little scene with Bev. Um, And all the time I'm thinking, is this really Bev or is it Pennywise? Mm -hmm. Just thinking, is this a trap? Am I waiting for? And again, as we know, this film references often Nightmare on Elm Street. Again, we see the cinema playing Nightmare on Elm Street 5. Mm -hmm. And and very, very clearly, I mean, that was that film that just blurred all that, hang on, is this real? Is this not real? Is this daylight? Well, you're just as vulnerable as at night time. Such an iconic series of films, and, and I think really closely tied to um, to especially Chapter 1 and 2.
2: Although in the miniseries, yes, uh, Mrs Kirsch then turns in to Al Marsh. Yeah. Um, I mean, a sort of you know decayed, very ghostly Al Marsh, but it becomes... Mrs Kirsch becomes her, her father. Yeah. Um, and I, one of the things I noticed in chapter two is in Ben's flashback to when Pennywise was chasing him through the school, you get one of the, almost, I think, the only shot of Al Marsh at work. Uh, yeah, that's right. He's always talked about being the school janitor. and janitor. I didn't hear that from the novel. Yeah. Um, for some some reason, that didn't. I didn't. I didn't absorb that. Mm-hmm. Um, but you, you actually see Ben bump into Almarian. It is Al Marsh and He's the school. He's the school janitor. As we've said before, so much of the uh, the everyday horror is on a par with all the the horror from Pennywise. Yeah, almost packs packs more of a punch because you can you can believe the everydayness of it. Yeah. The, mund- the mundanity of it i mean the the opening scene in the um at the funfair with uh with a with the death of adrian mellon i think is one of the is the most traumatizing scenes in the film i, I thought that when i when i saw it in the yeah. cinema
0: mm.
2: bloody hell if the rest of the film is like this uh and one thing i hadn't quite equated which is another big penny which probably should have dropped another Pennywise it should have dropped thank you um it's, <laughs> it's, nice catch it's, it's the incredibly violent death of Adrian Mellon which is the although I may have said this before so I'm having a little caveat that if I had I can get out of it um that's that's the event which sort of announces Pennywise's return yes when Mike is investigating that that crime scene, and you've got come home, come home, come home written yeah. on the, the pillar of the bridge. That didn't quite sit with me either. Did it work for you? Because that's Pennywise saying, Come back, come back. And I'm not sure Pennywise wants them back. But you get this much more firmly in the um in the miniseries where he's where he's saying, get out now. Leave. Turn around while you still can. Yeah trying to warn them away, where in this one, he's in chapter two in the film, he's inviting them back. And I'm like, why would Pennywise want them back? Unless he, yeah, I just it didn't quite work for me.
1: Yeah. I I know what you mean. Again, it is a little bit on the clown nose as some of the bits, a lot of the bits in the films are because yeah, the miniseries is very clear. If you, if you try, you will die. And, And that idea of, you know, these kids nearly, they, they, they nearly killed Pennywise, mm. um, and they didn't quite, you know, go for the jugular, if you like, which is why he's, he's still around. But they nearly did finish him him off. And you know, you get this sense in game these pesky kids. Ah, oh, man, maybe it's a little bit of hubris. Maybe he's like now they're adults, so they won't remember, and adults don't have the the power or the magic or the belief. That these kids have so maybe it's a little bit of a human aspect of him going okay right now i'm gonna you come back because you will be easy for me to finish off because you're adults now
0: mm-hmm.
1: um so maybe it's a little bit of him kind of enticing them in and then you know as you said at the beginning of this episode they very much revert to their childlike characters and then their belief and faith and magic floods through.
2: There was one thing that struck me as odd in the miniseries, in the second part of the miniseries, when Ben arrives in Derry, um, he gets the taxi to stop at the Barons. Yeah. Those go down to the Barons and then he gets this sort of flashback from another kid that's being chased chased by, by bullies doesn't do a damn thing about it, just watches it happen. Yeah. Um, which I thought was a little peculiar, uh, unless he's so sort of frozen by um, repressed memories and suddenly being back, yeah. back in Derry that the only thing he can do is sort of, you know, help the kid get back up, up on his feet. But then he goes back up um, and the taxi turns around and goes back the way it came from. It doesn't keep going on its course. It turns around. <laughs> and then he sees you know, Pennywise and he gets the balloon in the um in the in the taxi cab, which incidentally is being uh, rotated by the director out of out of short. That's how that's happening. Um but Ben goes back the way he came.
1: Nothing gets past you, my eagle-eyed friend. What I really liked about um it chapter two and chapter one is the soundtrack. Mm -hmm. Um, and a little moment to just give a shout out to benjamin the brilliantly named benjamin wallfish um who does the soundtrack beautifully at the beginning where there's that oranges and lemons that nursery rhyme Mm -hmm. bleeding into these very sinister violins and discordant off notes again classic you know horror film trope uh but again it sets the tone we go okay i get what we're in for now but some really beautiful uh moments of orchestral darkness, uh, especially where um in in, in the chase scenes with Pennywise, some great kind of real bass heavy sounds that, you know, when when something terrifying is happening, happening, and also some lovely melodic moments, quite Thomas Newman-esque, actually. Ooh. In particular, I've uh, been listening to the soundtrack the last couple of days. Um there's uh, a theme for the bar mitzvah that's really beautiful and one called the losers reunite which is gorgeous real swelling orchestral strings and beautiful piano chords um and i think it really heightens those scenes you know especially the bar mitzvah bit um you know where where we do see stan take his life and he's just when he's just lying in the bath and just lying on his side and I found that with the combination of the music, really, really moving.
2: One thing I think Chapter Two does well is when Bev does leave Tom Rogan, and she in this this version she leaves in a, in, in a real hurry as well.
0: Yeah,
2: you know she's almost because she's going out into the going out into the driving rain with not very much. She hasn't dressed, you know, appropriately for the weather because she's <laughs> she's had to leave in such a hurry to get away from Tom. But you went. I say in both of them you only get the essence mm. of, of, of Tom Rogan, and I suppose that that's what both versions felt that that was all they needed. But then, but then Tom um, going back and uh, going to assault Bev's friend to find out where she's going, in turning up in Derry, um, all of that, that storyline that's in the, in the novel, I think is really, is really strong. Yeah, um, and it's a shame that it's a shame that it had to be cut. I mean, at least in the miniseries, Audra's fleshed out an, an awful lot more.
0: Yeah,
2: um, notably played by Olivia Hussey, who famously played Juliet in Franco Zeffirelli's Romeo and Juliet.
1: Was she Juliet? She was Juliet in Franco Zeffirelli's. That's right, she was well-remembered. In Frank's Romeo Juliet. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Famous, very famous film. Yeah, I prefer the stage version with, uh, yeah, this guy Matt Robinson as uh, Romeo.
2: Never
1: heard of him. Oh, no, hang on, was he in the tribe? Oh,
2: hey, yeah. (laughs) See, see, nothing gets past me. (laughs)
1: All uh, 52 episodes of season five and seasons one, two, three, and four available at Amazon Prime and all other good places to stream online. Thank you. The film director, where we we're speaking about that little cameo where we see Audra all too briefly, um, and it's you know Bill's on on set of the film that he's written, and we see a film director come down in his chair. Who's the director? Fly
2: in, fly in. tell Bill off, and fly
1: out again who comes peter in to give tell bill what's for who is he peter bogdanovich that's it yeah one of the films that he directed oh balls um yeah i've heard some of their music uh, this is like, this section's just a little plug section for me really now who's hey, yeah, taking over this podcast <laughs> I've got to try and get the word out there somehow. So Peter Peter Bogdanovich directed... The Last Picture Show. Now, if I was to say the words to you, Last Picture Show, what would, what would you
2: think? I'd think of uh, early film work from Peter Bogdanovich.
1: And if you were just thinking of that, if you were thinking of, oh, hang on, there's something else that's Last Picture Show that's worth discovering and listening to, what might that be, young Simon? I might... I might think back to um,
2: a band of the same name, Reading-based,
0: mm-hmm.
2: uh, who have produced a number of works, but most recently, of course, The
1: Joy in the Wonder. Yes, The Joy in the Wonder. Last Picture Show, The Joy in the Wonder, is available uh, to listen to uh, or wherever you may stream. In fact, there's even a video on YouTube being championed by ex-Pearl Jam drummer uh, David Abruziz. Anyway, we're going off on a horrible tangent here. So yeah, have, I was just, we, have we finished recording the deleted scenes, or can we get back to it? Now? Yeah, I, I'm going to edit all of all of that shameless plugging out there. <laughs> that 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 won't make the final cut. Now there is a cameo as well um, of uh, somebody in a pawn shop. Now this is a really tricky one. I know. Yeah. Um. I. Oh, I don't know if you're going to get this. Um, We see an antique shop. First of all, do you know the name? Can you remember the name of the antique shop? That that this character is? That this character is the proprietor of,
0: yeah. Oh, you've got me again, you know.
1: No, no. It is. What was it called? Well, it is called the Secondhand Rose, Secondhand Clothes. And it is the same antique shop that crops up in Insomnia. The pawn shop owner. I'm sure I recognise that dude. Yeah. He, uh, the one that didn't like the
2: ending of Bill's book.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Man, been, like...
1: Yeah, Because some people often gripe at his ending. I, it's Dean Coots. It's Dean Coots. Is that what Dean Coots looks like? That's the, I'm sure it's Dean Coots. Yeah. Uh,
2: okay. Um, no, see, I thought it might have been um, Richard Chimazale or something like that.
1: Yeah. Oh, no, you got me Got me on that one. Well, um, answer's on a postcard to that. But yeah, uh, yeah definitely, he's...
2: Definitely, I've, I've seen him somewhere before. But I've seen him... <laughs> yeah, he's good. I, I tell you, I like if, him. I wonder if he's somebody that's quite well known, mm. possibly known for, you know, doing very well from the work that he's done, and that has happened to them. Mm. And they have been in a shop and wanted to buy something and gone like, oh, hang on, you're, um, you're, um, so I'm just going to like triple the price of this thing because I know you can afford it.
1: Lovely little bit about the ending because it's this recur- recurring joke. That's the thing, isn't it? Whenever King has a writer... In his works, w- we know that there's echoes of him, and he's able to just have a little bit of fun there, and that character can represent the things that the critics say and it is a criticism of King from a lot of people that he can't sort out his endings. Now, again, other opinions are available, but I, I like the fact that he's kind of addressing that on the nose, and this is Bill's kind of Achilles' heel that you know every single bloody person he meets goes, "Yeah, nice book. hated the ending. <laughs> <laughs> everybody everybody across the (laughs) board
2: even even (laughs) people that say they liked to begin with and is it oh it's one of the losers i can't i can't remember it might be Bear that says yeah no really i didn't like the ending
1: the haircut that our bill in the miniseries is given i mean that is quite some ponytail (laughs) it's an impressive ponytail to be sure it really is. Now I'm a man that has uh, some very dodgy hairstyles throughout my life, and and, uh, and often rocks a dodgy ponytail myself. But that thing needs a casting and a, all of its own. It's it, it's like one of the creatures from the mist, almost, isn't it? It's uh, it's quite a ponytail. It almost it
2: probably had its own trailer. So. I know, I know we mentioned him, and um, obviously Stephen King has a fabulous cameo in Chapter 2 as the uh, somewhat grouchy store, store owner. But I guess he can afford to play that, you know, to, pay, to play a bit grouchy, right? Um, but somebody else who we did mention does have a cameo in Chapter 2 as one of the guards up at Juniper Hill. He uh, is an, he's an author. He has quite a rivalry with Stephen King. Um, You did did mention him, in fairness. It was you. It's it's
1: Mr. Kunst.
2: Yeah. No way, really. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, so the rivalry obviously isn't that, um, you know, isn't that fierce. Um, I can't imagine Stephen King the kind of person that would hold
1: I, a with another author, really. No, nor, could, nor, nor do I. I think it's uh, a, a lot of some of the rabid fans that do that rather than him. I, yeah. He doesn't strike me as that kind of guy at all. So no way, because it isn't right. Because there is a character, one of the guards is called Kunst. Yeah. I'm sure in the original novel, right?
2: I think you're right. Right, yeah. okay. And, um, and Bowers is saying, oh, he's the worst. You know, he's the worst worst of all the guards. He's the one that
1: gives him the hardest time. Very nice spot. Well, well, my one is uh, there is a customer in the drugstore, in the pharmacy, um, that is played. uh, A little cameo. We've had a cameo earlier by film director Peter Bogdanovich. Uh, This cameo, the, the pharmacy customer, is Andy Muschietti. Ah, so our very own director of it, chapter one and two, uh, is just there in the background. Nice. Um, so n- nice, little moment there. And in the in the
2: background of the junk shop, um, behind I think Stephen King as he's sat in the sat in the chair, there is a license plate,
1: a yellow license plate, which belongs to belongs to our dear friend Christine. Well spotted, Zach. Nice little thing for King geeks like us and, and many others out there. Uh, I love getting... Yeah, it's instrument. nice when they make sense, you know. Yeah.
2: They? They're sort of just, just... sort of peppered throughout the, yeah. the things, unless they're supposed to really be front and centre like Stephen King playing a <laughs> junk shop owner. But I have to also say there is there is one one piece of casting that does is a teensy wincy teeny-weeny, tiny little fly in my particular ointment. But that's only because after realising at the end of Chapter 1 that Chapter 2 was coming and this was going to be a film all about the adults, mm-hmm. and seeing Sophia Lillis, who plays um, child Bev, I yeah. thought there was somebody who is perfect for adult Bev... Mm. who didn't get the who didn't get the role now Jessica Chastain is a fine actor. I have no problem mm. with her whatsoever however, looking at Sophia Lillis and then thinking, why on earth and perhaps it was availability, perhaps they didn't want to do a horror film, perhaps a hundred other possible reasons why Amy Adams mm. wasn't cast as bev yeah I don't know i'd love I'd love for her to have. <clears throat> tried that role because she looks so much like Sophia Ellis. She really does. Yeah. Or vice versa. It's like that's the shoe in.
1: Again, I think uh for the adult um Bill, one person that they wanted to use was Christian Bell, was in uh-huh. name, uh who turned it down flat. Um but again, his name was absolutely one of the first names mentioned. Um huh.
2: interesting. I'm I wonder if Christian Bale might have been a bit too intense mm. for Bill. Um I mean, James McAvoy, I think, brings a certain intensity, but that I feel has got more to do with Bill. Now he's back in Derry, yeah, kind yeah, of carrying yeah. a lot of the the trauma that he'd sort of forgotten mm. because mm. everybody's forgotten having left mm. left Derry. Um and I think. Well, I wonder if Christian Bale has a certain intensity anyway, just sort of as part of his, which is perfect for for a lot of the roles that he does. Yeah. Uh, they're really, really engaging, but I'm not sure it w- would have worked as an adult. Bill, I wonder why he turned it down, just didn't want... yeah i
1: don't know but apparently yeah turn it down very quickly um but again it may be that kind of actor that would perhaps overshadow what is ostensibly perhaps you know an ensemble piece it's the losers all of them you know so although at times i think mcavoy is a little bit undercharged for how i'd like bill especially Mm -hmm. in comparison with young bill who i think is just really soulful i don't quite get that from mcavoy it allows you know Eddie and, and and Richie to really come to the fore, and mm. yeah, perhaps when well, you got Christian Bale in in a in any film by the nature of the hurricane intensity is he might cast quite a big shadow. But Amy Adams, yeah, that would have been a, that's a great shout. Yeah, absolutely,
2: I'd love to have seen her done. Yeah, done
1: um, but perhaps also
2: um, she didn't necessarily want to be swimming in what. God knows how many gallons of um, cinematic blood.
1: She really does. <laughs> she really does get through a lot of blood. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. And I think she had to,
2: you know, she obviously had to, you know, get cleaned up and get yeah. changed costume every time they wanted to do another take. Yeah, that's a that's that's a long day. That's a, that's hard hard work. That might. You know, that's great acting to kind of make it look like it's happening spontaneously and to make it look yeah. sort of not easy, but to not show how demanding yeah. doing that is. Because you know, how long's that gonna to take to film? A day? Oh, Maybe two, I don't know, but well, you're not well, gonna get that done in 30 minutes. No,
1: no, no, not at all. It's 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 hugely demanding. <laughs> You know, I think her and, uh, yeah, uh, Bill Skarsgård, I mean, again, you know, what, three and a half, four hours in makeup before even, you know, uh, cameras rolling and doing anything. Again, there's a lot of, there's that lovely moment, isn't there, in Chapter 2, where we do see Pennywise without the makeup, or as he's putting on the makeup, Mm. where he's just, you see the, uh, almost, I was like, is that Bill Skarsgård? He seems so... Timeless and uh, and like a a really old clown. Uh, Mm. That brilliant moment where he puts on the white paint and then almost joker like creates the smile and very powerful image. And reading that, you know, obviously Bill Skarsgård had more fun on this movie. Because he was actually able to, you know hang out a little bit more with the uh, with the cast and the adults, whereas in chapter one he was kept purposely separate from them, and it was a very mm-hmm. lonely experience. This one, I think, uh was very, very different. Wrapping up on Stephen King's cameo, that's like brilliant grouchiness that he has <laughs> that I I really love. And I do see it in interviews, you know um, and he just seems very comfortable in his own skin. And I'm always really fascinated and it's very attractive, isn't it? Seeing someone completely seeming to be at ease within their own skin. And and it's that David Bowie quote that I love, which is, aging is an extraordinary process whereby you become the person you always should have been.
2: Mm. Yeah, a very (laughs) nice way of putting it. And I think that Stephen King has gotten if I'm had, if I'm hazarding a guess here, I, I think he's gotten used to it. Yeah. Because looking at him giving talks as a younger man, um, he doesn't seem quite as quite as at ease. I think that um, doing those things for him is kind of like a necessary evil. Yeah. Uh, but it's, it's, it, you know, he's not a big fan of of public speaking. But it's something that he feels you know he has kind of has to do. Yeah. Um, for one reason or another and slowly but surely he's become more and more comfortable mm. giving interviews doing talks and uh, appearing in, in appearing in adaptations of his work
1: yeah exactly I just, um, yeah. Well, as we know, unfortunately, you know, he's not able to at this moment take part in the at podcast because at this moment, uh, because he's focusing on, on on the work. And yeah, you get that since so he's very comfortable there, uh, and then just dips out here and there for those for those moments. But I do I do love seeing a good uh, Stephen King cameo uh, up there with a the Stan Lee cameo for me. It's just a a nice little heart warmer. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Yeah, the great Easter, big, great, big, juicy Easter egg to have.
1: Andy Muschetti has spoken about you know exploring further, you know that there's still more to be told Mm. about Pennywise and the origins and what happened before. um, You know the the losers and the it story we know. Um, And interestingly enough, you know that I think that's taking place in Welcome to Derry. which is, uh, you know, filming and coming out soon, I believe. Which is looking at, you know, uh, the legacy, or we're well, not the legacy, the um, yeah, the, the Pennywise prequel, if you like. Mm. Yeah. What, what, what are you thinking about that?
2: I don't know. I'm very wary of prequels. Mm. I don't see the need anymore. Um, I mean, from, from the very first one that got the got the ball rolling the phantom menace it's like i don't really want to see how the magician does their trick yeah i mean i don't in a sense i don't want to see i'm not interested it's not important Mm. somebody's somebody's past isn't always engaging it's not how they got to here it's who they are now that i I care about Mm. the story the story going forward Mm. it could be interesting it could be interesting, but given the the stabs that have been done with that sort of thing <clears throat> so far, I guess to a large degree, it depends who's handling it and yeah. why they're doing it and what story they're telling. Yeah. I don't know. I think we'll have to wait and see. Uh, um, but mm-hmm. I'm not... Don't get me wrong. Sometimes it can go really well. Better call Saul. Yes. Which is not entirely
1: a prequel. It's a prequel slash sequel as well. Yeah. So originally announced back in March of this year, HBO Max is developing a series titled Welcome to Derry, which will serve as a prequel to the two Stephen King movies from Andy Muschietti. Uh, the series will begin in the 60s, in the time leading up to the events of it, part one. Um... And it includes the origin story of Pennywise the Clown. Mm. Just for me, origin stories tend to be, they're pretty predictable. Mm. (laughs) You know, they kind of go in one direction. You know, it's either going to be a a ascent into, you know, uh, a, a hero or a descent into a villain or, you know, you have a character, then there's a turning point, something happens, and then this puts them on this course or that course, and they either then, you know, come up against other obstacles. It's I'm not sure. I I kind of similarly think, well, you know, it's quite interesting just seeing where they are in that moment. Well, For instance, you know, The Dark Knight, I know we've referenced that a couple of times. I loved... Mm. The Dark Knight, because I love the fact that you know Ledger's Joker is just—he's just there. He just exists. Mm. There's no, there's, there's just chaos and anarchy, and literally, that's the purpose. Rather than having this, oh, the the origin story to it, I don't necessarily need that. Some, yeah, sometimes it can work. It
2: sometimes it, it can work. It, it depends entirely who's whose hands it's in, but. But you're right about I think the sort of the one directionness because you know ultimately if it's a prequel where this character is going to end up, mm, yeah, you know that you know mm. what the ending is. Mm. Um, sometimes, sometimes a journey can can be interesting, but unless they're going to introduce a new character who you then don't know, yeah, where they where they're going to stand at the end of the thing, you know where mm. this where the main characters are going to be. Mm. So you know, I suspect that anybody fighting Pennywise in this series is not going to be successful. (laughs) Yeah. You can't kill him. He dies at the end of chapter two or he dies at the end of the book. The best best that you can hope for is to have him on the the back foot um, until feeding season is over you probably can't wise up that much to it, can you? Because the adults are completely clueless. Yeah, Children would probably have
1: spread the word Mm, mm.
2: unless they'd been through exactly the same thing the Losers Club
1: had been through and then
2: left Derry. And then I'm like, well, I've seen this story.
1: already. Yeah. I mean, I wonder if there's mileage in, you know, the the fabulous Derry interludes that we have, you know, Mike's Mm. wonderful bookkeeping and all those really rich episodes that happen there. Um, from, you know, the Ironworks to the Bradley gang. I'd be interested, again, because it's in the source material, it's Mm. there, and we know that Pennywise has these cameos. He's there, he's present. Yeah, I'd be interested in seeing a little bit more of of, of that, potentially. Sometimes less is more. (laughs) Yeah,
2: Yeah, and we've had quite a bit
1: to be haven't we?
2: I mean, they weren't short films, either
1: of them, particularly Chapter Two, so... (laughs) Longest horror film uh, you know, to, to get you know, commercially to get that number one spot. This was only
2: my second viewing of Chapter Two. I mm-hmm. hadn't seen it yeah. since I saw it with you. Um, and one of the things that I had forgotten um, was that Henry doesn't die when he in, in Chapter One when um, Mike pushes him down the well. Mm. I think I remember saying Henry's dead. Mike kills kills Henry. No, of course he doesn't kill Henry. Henry gets flushed through the sewers, probably protected by, in some to some extent by by Pennywise, and he gets spat out in the river. And that's that wonderful shot of him uh, appearing, sort of at the top of the frame, looking looking down. And what a terrific reverse. And then, of course, he goes back home and he gets arrested for his father's murder. He confesses to all the. Um, the murders of the children, and then he gets locked up in Juniper Hill for as long as the the losers have have been away. So he gets his own absence, in a sense. Mm. Um, And I don't know why I'd forgotten that aspect of of Chapter 2, that, um,
1: of course, Henry comes back. Yeah, well, so would I. I. I think because the fall down the well is so brutal, and <laughs> yeah. it's, you know, the sound effects of, of things snapping and the distance in which he falls, I think at the time it's like, well, well, that's it. Yeah, coming, <laughs> right. back that, yeah right. coming back from that, you know, in the way that, as we know, sometimes you have to kill your darlings for the nature of the running time. but, well, they've clearly just disposed of, of, of him. Um, so, yeah. I'm calling Henry Bowers darling, but anyway. yeah. <laughs> not to his face. Uh...
0: Yeah,
2: not to his face. A <laughs> good casting, I thought. He looked like a mm. an older version yeah. of, of that boy who'd been institutionalised for the best part of three decades. Yeah, yeah. Uh, suitably, like suitably manic, manic and,
1: and yeah, yeah, yeah. That real glint and uh, and our, and a nice shout out to the mullet as well. You know, um, oh, yes. <laughs> which you again it's it, mullet day today isn't it international mullet day today it, it, really is it i think it might be or uh, today or yesterday wow if i'd have known then i might have uh restyled my hair to uh to, to be appropriate to... uh <laughs> i do love the fact that, that eddie has a final parting you know line i mean eddie's got some great one-liners in chapter two i I particularly like you know i i I love his character in this one uh he does you know rib rib him about the mullet once he's you know once he's knifed him uh yeah so we we have obviously yeah we have bill's ponytail you know maybe the mullet in a way was a nod an homage to uh uh to 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 hairstyles um you know it's
2: interesting a couple of nights ago i watched a uh, another horror film just on a on a sort of a whim, really, called um, Sinister. And one of the main reasons I watched it, because Ethan Hawke is in it. And I think Ethan Hawke is a first class actor. Yeah, I love it. Um, and James Ransom, who plays Eddie, turns up in it as well, as he got a supporting role oh, of, right. uh, deputy. But mm. there is another Stephen King reference in this film. So at one point, um, Ethan Hawke's character goes out into the garden at night to go and see something that very suspicious in the bushes, um, and when he turns around to go back into the house, there's this big Rottweiler looking at him, just sort of growling, and um, and then it, and then it just goes away. So he goes back inside. He's talking to, to his wife, and he's saying, "There's this this big big dog out in the um, out in the garden, really big, like hugeo big." <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> There, it's fascinating to see how these words have sort of just um, been fed into the sort of uh, the cultural consciousness. Sometimes, despite how much I obviously love all of them, the, the loose the losers club aren't necessarily the sharpest tacks in the in the box. So um, they're having a great night, and I think in both the. The uh, the mini series and chapter two, um, the the most is made of the time that they have in the restaurant. They really have a really really great time before things go go sour. But um, you get you kind of get a double hit when it comes to the fortune cookies. And in the first one, they're trying to put these words together to make a coherent sentence and they're, they're being quite stressed and they're flapping about it for ages and i'm like how foolish are you so you're only using five words how many of you are in the room so somebody hasn't comm- hasn't given up their word yet have they so how far down the line are we going to be before we ask the question why, <laughs> are you, why are you trying to do this with five words <laughs> Dramatic effect, Simon. Yeah, I know, but it's stretching <laughs> my belief. Just, I can't believe that they're all so foolish that they would miss that.
1: Yeah, I, I guess those fortune cookies had had, had certainly um, taken them by surprise, maybe, and scattered their clarity of thought.
2: But <laughs> uh, uh, the what, the the second hit in chapter two of fortune cookies—they're really nasty. Yeah, they're well, they're well done. That that baby. Bug. Spug. Ah, oh, What is
1: that? That looked horrible. Rare, really horrible. Rare, the baby head. Oh, and, and again, great when when you know the, the owner of the restaurant comes in. <laughs> that brilliant scene of uh, I, th- I think it's R- is it Richie just with it's the chair? It was Mike, Mike. Oh, it's Mike is it Mike? Mike with the chair just smashing it against. <laughs> just the check, please. Thank. You.
2: <laughs> thank you very much. Oh, uh, we won't be coming back in a hurry. <laughs> Although I'm local, so I'm probably barred forever.
1: Yeah, yeah. Mike's much more hectic, uh, the portrayal of Mike. He's much more energetic and nervy and edgy than the Mike I felt in the miniseries and yeah. also in the in the book. I for me, Mike is this kind of calming influence. Uh you know, because he stayed there, he's remained in Derry. He's, um, and again, I know we've mentioned it briefly, but uh, yeah, Mike is much more duplicitous in how he's portrayed in the uh, in chapter two, and yeah, uh, and has a real kind of manic energy at times that it just wasn't quite the Mike, the grounded Mike that I, yeah, I picture within the novel.
2: Yeah, yeah, he seems a bit more disturbed, as it yeah. were. Yeah. I do like that they, uh, they keep the name of the restaurant from the novel. Yes. Um, and the fact that I think there is a, a restaurant in, in Bangor called The Oriental Jade, or it's known mm. as The Oriental Jade by, um, by locals, but um, Jade of the Ori- Orient. I'd like that they kept that yeah. that detail. Did you notice the missing child poster? Uh, well, there are lots of missing child posters, but there was one that, and immediately afterwards, it features a, the Daily Derry headline, which sort of name checked the Barons in Chapter Two, because in the films, the Barons get, you know, they get a lot of short shrift,
0: mm-hmm. um,
2: but but down, but you do see the clubhouse, yeah, and that's a, that's a real piece of work. That looks a lot bigger and, and more sort of. Um, Better equipped than I imagined yeah. it to be. From there, that would take a long time to
1: smoke out, wouldn't it? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't believe he got that done in one summer. <laughs> well, he did go on to, you know, do, win many designs for his architectural mouse, And uh, yes, he's, uh, he, he, he's good with his hands, old Ben.
2: Now, maybe I'm being maybe being mm. oh, harsh say he was. He just knew how to do these things. Perhaps he's one of those sort of. Prodigies, and in this yeah. case, in, in architecture, he it doesn't. uh as our friend Will Hunting said, talking about um, about Beethoven or Mozart. He just knew,
1: he just knew how to play. It just sch- made sense to it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, the cop doesn't he? The Irish cop, like, so who? You know, son, who taught you how to do this? It's just no one. He just it, he knew when he's building the dam. You mm. know, he he knows what goes where, and he's. Yeah, almost just completely connected to it. And it's lovely. Mm.
2: I do like that um, both both Chapter 2 and the mini series, or probably Chapter 2 maybe kept it because it was in the miniseries, I don't know. But um, when Ben is having his flashback in Chapter 2 and Pennywise is chasing him through the school mm. corridors, uh, you get the kiss me, fat boy. Yeah. <laughs> That line that's in that's in both of both of them. That's in both, yeah. And I think it, on both occasions he's got obviously he's got Bev on his mind, yeah. Um, although the, the one one thing that the commentary of the miniseries pointed out to me is that when Richie goes to the library to look for Mike and he encounters Pennywise, which I think mm. is quite a um, quite a creepy scene. Mm. Quite well done. I, I, I like that scene. I mean, in an ideal world, I'd have Ben going back to the library and him seeing the vampire on the on the stairs.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, but Richie gets loads of blood on him from all the balloons that, mm. that pop. Mm. But because he's the only person that can see Pennywise, hear Pennywise, and and, and see the blood. When you get the reverse shot of Richie talking to the librarian, so it's her point of view, in theory, he shouldn't have any blood on him.
1: Yes, because she can't see it, can she? Yeah, exactly, because she can't see it. (laughs) Yeah. Um,
2: But, hey, I, I hadn't noticed that until the commentary pointed it out to me, so...
1: Yeah, yeah i mean i i felt this i felt it with the book i felt it with the miniseries and chapter one and two it's inevitably a little bit you know, when it takes that form of of, of the spider mm. you know it i mean again hampered so much the miniseries by the the graph the, the cgi and and the effects that you've got at the time the budget so you know it could be a little bit more laughable than frightening uh, mm. perhaps um but I, I agree, there's a really nice um, sci fi now said about um, while the climax may be somewhat unavoidably unsatisfying, it is nostalgically remembered for its strengths, including its unforgettably gruesome Pennywise portrayal, its memorably shocking moments of on screen visceral horror, and its thoroughly convincing portrayal of camaraderie from both generations of the Losers Club. Mm. Yeah, it's full of heart in that respect. Mm.
2: Which, as you <laughs> mentioned,
1: yeah, as you mentioned a few times, that's almost when King is like, "Look, you might get this wrong or that wrong or that factually, but as long as it's got the heart, mm. and it, uh, and it really does."
2: Yeah. Yes, yeah, so I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't accuse it of of having missed that. Yeah. Um, it's it's really a lot of the details, and mm. yeah, it's unfortunate in a sense that the essence of pennywise is lost in in both both versions yeah, but right. by that point like a lot of horror films it doesn't really matter what the monster looks like anymore
0: mm.
2: not about it's not about what the creature looks like and how frightening it is or isn't mm. it's about how how this thing can be defeated
0: yeah
2: yeah um and in both in, i think in both versions they have they, they they you know they they come together they 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 gang up on it so to speak but they overcome their fear and they end up um killing pennywise by pulling its heart out and crushing it with their bare hands yeah yeah you know you've got to get you've got to get down and dirty if you really want to yeah put your put your fears to rest you you, yeah. you can't do it
1: without getting your hands dirty yeah yeah Absolutely. And it's their hearts, them being full of hearts, that allows them to to rip out, uh, you know, and crush the beating heart of Pennywise. Yes.
2: Yes. Um, Mike does have a good, memorable line, despite his, uh, despite the the questionable actions that that he takes. And, And he says there's more than one way to make something small. And this is how we do it. Anywise, you know, presents himself as the, the eater of worlds. So what? Who cares? What are you at the end of the day? Yeah. What should we be scared of you? You're
1: yeah. nothing more than
2: malevolence.
1: Yeah. Um, and I don't give you that power, you know, because I, you're not the eater of worlds. you just, you're small. You're a clown. Sure. You're a clown. You're a fool.
2: Yeah. You can't come out in the open and and eat you have to seduce and trap your prey, yeah. and your prey are normally children yeah who are who are trusting and there's that that moment that Vicky nearly gets away from Pennywise by going, "You're not my friend," and then Pennywise practices on her on her sympathy, yeah, passion um I still think that was one of the best scenes in in chapter two, because it is the it is the most unnerving, mm. Mm. Um, and because it's it doesn't happen in the in the novel, so it's it's kind of fresh and it's a nice, yeah. nice take on um, yeah.
1: Pennywise uh, killing um, another one of the missing. But I mean, Pennywise, I mean he's he's very thin skinned, isn't he? You know, it's literally like, right, we we're going to tear out your heart by. Calling, yeah, calling it out, calling how small you are, how rubbish you are. It's like, come on, Pennywise, man up. <laughs> yeah, but it's it's an illusion, isn't it? Mm. I mean,
2: that's that's what Pennywise has got going for him. That's the main weapon in his arsenal is the fact that he can appear to be this this terrifying. Yeah, but actually, it's like the Wizard of Oz. You know, this—they uh, all get. You know, they all go down the corridor, this long, long, long corridor, and everyone's heard about the great and powerful Wizard of Oz, and it's this—you know—this big, terrifying um, head in this, in this, this throne room, and then late, later in the film, it's just some old man behind a curtain pushing buttons and pulling levers. You know, I am the great and powerful Wizard of Oz. So you take, you look behind the curtain, you go, no, actually. What are you at the end of the day? You're just is that this is all you've got, really, is your ability to create fear. And if I'm not afraid, you've got nothing. If I if I can if I choose to believe in no oh, heaven, take me outside and shoot me now. But if I believe in friendship and in love. And not in
1: fear. You've got nothing. Yeah. You have no agency. You have mm. no. I did.
0: I did think it was a bit odd that at the end of chapter two, they're not forgetting. This time. Um, yeah. I thought. I'm, not, I'm
2: still not quite sure what to sort of make of that. uh that deviation
1: I uh, yeah i I think it's a shame because I think it's such a powerful, powerful moment in the novel mm. uh, and where you know they've been through so much um and then almost the curse, but the blessing is that they're going to forget it, and mm. with the exception of Bev and Ben, who we know go off together, you know, the rest of them they, they, they'll forget because there's not going to be another call from Mike in 27 years you get the very mm. much sense this is done now there's a finality to it um and they won't remember uh, and i i find that very poignant um and very necessary so it's a shame that doesn't happen you know uh but yeah that scene of a uh, yes bev and uh ben on the boat with a beautiful big dog and uh you know Ben with the six-pack. I mean, I'm thinking in that scene, I'm like, I wonder if that actor was contractually obliged to... Right, now we've got to get that stomach out so you can show off your six-pack and then we're going to have a, a lot more carving go on. I mean, fair play. Quite possibly. It could very well be there in the small print. It's what you and I have in our riders, don't we? You know, kind of all right. Yeah. <laughs> Just don't yeah, show our stomachs, okay?
2: Yeah, I mean, it, it, I have to sign mine about. Eighteen months in advance. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, we'll do that. Yeah. Okay. Twenty-seven years. Great. Okay. Give us twenty-seven years, and <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll have the six pack that
2: you've ordered, or I'll be dead. So either way, <laughs> yeah. Problem solved.
1: But no, because it is the whole memory thing, and again, you don't get that in in either way because you don't have the bill bringing order back to life and. Mm. um uh, but it is for me it's all about memory this book and 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 there's uh, i think it's one of its most em- emotional charges is that the power of what we remember and, and and what we forget and what is so shocking and traumatic that we can't remember or it becomes a blur and um i i guess again i think that's e- more easily captured within the novel Mm-hmm. than on, on on the screen i think it's harder to get that essence on screen so they probably thought let's just you know let, let's leave that be but again it's it it's those things that are missing that for me mean the miniseries dated as it is for me uh, and chapter one and two i admire a lot of it but it never moves me in the way that the novel does because it doesn't get all of that emotion
2: uh, it, it's also about that struggle between between good and evil. Something the losers are doing throughout mm. throughout the miniseries, throughout both films, and certainly throughout the novel. Mm. And it's something that St- Stephen King writes about with real um, fluidity. Yeah, he can you know address that that struggle.
0: Mm.
2: Mm. Everybody has that. Everybody. Well, everybody does have that that struggle, and every character is is given their own. Struggle to one degree or another. Yeah. You know, as we said, even Pennywise has moments of of struggling with what's going on. What's happening? This is um, this is new. And um his his last line in in chapter one before he falls down into the sewer is fear. Now it's not not necessarily something he wants to transmit, but it's something like fear. What's this? This is new. Yes. Yeah.
0: Ooh,
2: I better go. I better go and sort of, you know, get go back to my sweet, sweet sleep before this fear thing gets any bigger. Yeah.
1: Well, I think this seems as good a time as any to announce that we've also, you know, there is an audio book that exists uh, of this wonderful masterpiece. And uh, the guy who does the audio books, you know, so he's really, he's really pretty good. Is he? Yeah. Yeah. A Strong atmosphere characterizes well. Amazing. He he like, can even do like all these different voices and like just make them not sound like his own voice. It's it's incredible what he can do. It's almost like he's yeah, but but he's not performing. It's just being, right? I think we've right. spoken about that before. Yeah. Um anyway, some some dude called Stephen 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 Weber, I think. Uh and uh Stephen Weber Uh, Yeah, you heard of him? I am
2: familiar with him, yes. Didn't he play Jack Torrance at one point? Uh,
1: You're absolutely right. And he was also in one hell of a band as well. You know, they got one hell of a band. Yeah, they really have. And and he really is one hell of an actor. His name is Stephen Webber, and we can announce that we are doing an upcoming episode with the mighty Stephen Webber. So, i mean if that's not enough to just keep your uh, keep your hands on your on your radio knobs then i don't know what is it would keep my hand there well absolutely yeah as long as you keep your hand on your own knob but, so final thoughts for me is and it taps into what you were saying about this good and evil the struggle between good and evil um and king writes about it so fluently as, as you mentioned and it's one of his most beautiful sentences, this couple of sentences, and I, and I quoted it the other day. And I, I definitely think at some stage I'm going to have, have to get a tattoo of this on, on my forearm. Mm. This is something that should be taught to all kids and be compulsory to be taught to all adults as a reminder, a refresher. And it's this. Get a little rock and roll on the radio and go toward all the life there is with all the courage you can and all the belief you can muster.
0: Be true. Be brave. Stand.
2: Yeah, I think Bev said it best for me in, uh, in chapter one. I want to spend my life running towards something, not away from it but um, I've had a fabulous time these past five, six months, seven now almost, eight in fact, (laughs) all like eight, um, revisiting the novel and uh, the miniseries and um, the films, both
0: parts. One. Two. You're supposed to
1: say three.
0: (coughs) King Size was written and presented by Matt Robinson and Simon Balkan. Edited and produced by Matt Robinson. Music Storm Coming by Last Picture Show. Available on Spotify. Find us on Instagram at Kingsize Podcast. If you like what you hear, please drop us a review and subscribe to the show.